All right. Uh, Terry, age four, said, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Danny, age seven, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. Or she just wants some for herself. <laughs> she just wants some for herself. He's not old enough to know that. That's okay. All right, Bobby, age five. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Noel, age seven. This might be the best one. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. <laughs> Elaine, who is five years old, says, love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Mary Ann, age four, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. Karen, age seven, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. Jessica, age seven, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. Now, that's good. Uh, Rebecca, who is age eight, said, When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Well, that's a pretty good one as well. It's one thing to listen to children uh, give their perspective on love, but it's another thing and an even greater thing to get God's perspective on love. Several times in the scriptures, the Bible goes in depth as to what love is. Uh, for example, we think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is what we oftentimes call the love chapter of the Bible. And here in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, this is the beginning of a much larger passage. We're not going to get through it all tonight, but this is the beginning of a major section on love in this book. John has already addressed the topic of love. In chapter 2, he talked about love as an indicator that someone is walking in the light. And then in chapter 3, he talks about love as evidence that someone is a child of God. And then we come to chapter 4, and he takes those same concepts, but he goes even deeper. This is really the fullest and most complete explanation that he gives us. And as he does so, he's really putting a question before us. How well does this describe me? Does this describe the way I live? Does this describe the way I love others? Is this the kind of love that is evident in us and that the world can see in us? And of course, the only real way for us to measure this is to do so in light of the Word of God and based on the description of love that He gives us. And so we're only going to go through verse 11 tonight let's start there in verse 7 and read the passage beloved let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God 
He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now we're going to see several descriptions of this kind of love that God has shown us and the kind of love that we are then to show others as well. And basically I want to summarize this with three key words, uh, uh, three key words that describe the characteristics of the kind of love that we should have. And these also show us some things about the nature and the character of God's love. But first of all, we notice that biblical love is specific. Biblical love is specific. Now, this word for love, agape, uh, if you don't know, this appears 32 times in this section that begins in verse 7. Now, if there is an expert on the topic of love in the New Testament, we would say that person has to be John. When we think of the Apostle Paul, for example, uh, we would consider him the expert on faith, what faith is. He writes about that more and has more to say about that than any other New Testament writer. When we think about James, he is the apostle of works. Faith without works is dead. When we think about Peter, he's the apostle of hope. How we can have hope and how we can have living hope, even in times of suffering, even in times of persecution. But when we think about John, he is certainly what we would call the apostle of love. And so not surprisingly, the very first word there in verse 7 is that word beloved, which comes from agape, meaning those who share in that agape love. That's literally what it means. But this is not just a title of respect that he's giving them when he says beloved when john says beloved this is very deep this is very personal he wants them to know that he loves them and his heart goes out to them we've also seen that john uses this word beloved as a transitional word when he's moving on to a new section or a new topic he did this at the beginning of the chapter, which we looked at last week when he was talking about false teachers and when he said, beloved, do not believe every spirit. But now he's moving into this new section about love and he says, beloved. We're going to notice when we study this chapter, when we read what John says about love, that it is like a mountain with two peaks. We're going to notice a couple of times in verses 8 and 16. John says the words, God is love. This is the only place in the Bible where you have this kind of double affirmation about the character of God. Many times in the scriptures, God will reveal something about his character. But only this time does God inspire the writer 
to say something twice about his character. Uh, And both times, God describes himself. He describes his own character as being love. And so notice what he says again at the beginning of verse 7. Let us love one another. Let us love one another. That word us, it's plural, let us love. In other words, all of us. It is present tense. It's something that we do continually. It's something that we do habitually. And who do we love? He said, one another. I'm to love you. You are to love me. And this commandment, by the way, is so important. John actually says it three times in this larger passage. But this is something that we should all be doing with no exceptions and no strings attached. There's no escape clause here. John knows human nature. He knows what we are like. He knows that there are some things that do not change. He knows that we're always looking for a loophole some way for us to get out of having to love that person that we don't want to love because maybe they're just different, maybe they're hard to like, maybe they just rub us the wrong way. John says, doesn't matter, let us love one another. That means that there is no exit ramp at any place for any of us. There was a country preacher once who probably said it best. He was preaching on this statement in verse 7. And he said that we should all love all people all the time. That we are all to love all of them all the time. You know, that's a good summary statement of verse 7. When you think about it, it kind of also sheds some light on what John is not saying for example he's not saying all of us should love some of them all the time well that would be easy because i can look out and and see some people here and uh it seems like it would be kind of easy to love some of you all the time maybe that's because i don't live with you but uh it, it seems like some of you here that would be a very easy thing to do to love some of you all the time but that's not what john is saying He's also not saying all of us should love some of them some of the time. Or that all of us should love all of them some of the time. In other words, well, I love everybody when I feel like it. No, he's saying all of us are to love all of them all of the time. And so this is very, very specific, the kind of love that we are commanded to display at the beginning of verse 7. It is specific But then as we go further, we see that this love is also supernatural. It is supernatural. As soon as John tells us to love one another, he automatically knows that on our own, we do not have what it takes. On our own, we do not have that in us. None of us could do this if we were left to ourselves. This is not part of our sin nature. We can't do it. John can't do it. But... The reader of this letter should still have fresh in their minds what John had said just a few verses earlier when he said, greater is he who is in you than he 
who is in the world. The greater one who is in us. He supernaturally enables us to love one another. God can supernaturally move us to love people that we don't even like. And when we do, it provides the evidence, John says, for two things. It provides evidence that we were born of God, and it provides evidence that we know God. So notice what he says in the rest of that verse. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He says love is of God. That means the source of love is God. This kind of love that he's talking about, this agape love, it flows from God like a river or like a spring. And because it is always flowing from God, John says, if you have been born of God, what happens? You receive his nature. And if it's God's nature to love, then that means it's going to be your nature, your new nature, to love as well. I would point out, by the way, that that word born is in the perfect tense. It refers to an action that has happened in the past at a moment in time and has continuous ongoing ramifications in the present it happened in the past i was born in the past at a point in time but the results of that birth go on forever i was born once but the effects of that birth cause me should cause me to grow in love continually now when i was born into this world i took on the nature of my parents when I was born into the spiritual world the Bible teaches that I likewise took on the nature of God Peter said in 2nd Peter 1 4 that we become partakers of the divine nature so when I was born physically I took on my earthly father's nature and then acted naturally but when I was born spiritually, I took on God's nature and can now act supernaturally. And there's one thing about this statement I want to make very, very clear. The order here in verse 7, the order is very, very important. You are born again, you are born of God, and then, and because of that, you have this supernatural ability to love. Now, it is not that you love and by loving others you then become a child of God that's not what John is saying that won't work you cannot do that in your natural sinful self no it is this divine birth that makes this love possible one commentator said it this way love does not impart divine life but love is evidence that divine life has 
been imparted. I think that's well said. And so here's the question. If you don't love people, if you find yourself just hating some people, if you think, man, I hope bad things happen to them, if there's a heart that's full of bitterness, look out. Because best case scenario, you're just in the flesh. But worst case scenario, you're lost. Because the Bible says that when you love others, that is evidence that you are born of God. And Howard Harden didn't say that. John said that. The Bible says that. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now that statement at the end of verse 7 is the positive statement of what will happen in the life of a believer. What will happen because new birth has taken place. We get to the next verse and it's like the other side of the coin. So we have the positive component and then we have the negative component. Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God for God is love he who does not love does not know god and i think we could add even if they're a church member even if they give lots of money even if they grew up in a christian home even if they can quote scripture he who does not love does not know god for god is love now, when you read those words, God is love, keep in mind, that is not to say that love is God. You cannot reverse that statement. So I'm going to put it this way. Love does not define God, but God defines love. All that God is and everything that God does is motivated by his love for eternity past god lived in a state of love within the trinity if you've been with us on sunday morning we've already seen that love that god the father has always had for the son and that love that god the son has for the father but it did not stop there god created this world out of a motive of love god created you and me so that he could love us. God created heaven so that he could have a place where we could love each other for all of eternity. In fact, I would even argue that God created hell out of a motive of love. Hell was created for the devil and for his angels. It was created so that his children might be separated forever from those who rebelled against him will you think why in the world would a loving god send someone to hell well friend god does not send anyone to hell man sends himself to hell and as a matter of fact the only reason why a man goes to hell is because he has rejected the love of god but that statement god is love it tells us so much about god doesn't it it tells us that God is a, a personal being. It tells us that it's God's nature to give. That it's God's nature to sacrifice. This complements every other statement that we see in Scripture about the character of God. But I want you to go back 
to John's logic uh, in the first part of that verse. A moment ago, John said, he just said that love is evidence that a person has been born again and that a person knows God. Therefore, it stands to reason that if someone does not love, that is evidence that there has not been a new birth. Therefore, it stands to reason if someone does not love, they do not know God. And again, I realize this is, for many, a hard truth, and yet it is true. We all struggle with this from time to time, but having said that, it was just inconceivable to John that a person could could live, continue, could live a life continually without love, a life of hatred, and a life of bitterness if that person has truly been born again. To John, that can't happen. That's not possible. That's inconceivable. If the love of God is not coming up like a spring from within a person, that person does not love God. That person, John says, is not saved. And yes, that person is in danger of hell. And so we see this love. It is specific. It is supernatural. It flows from God because God is love. And a person who's been born, they receive his nature. He enables them to love others as well as he does. We also see in this passage that Biblical love is seen. It is seen. Love's an action word. It's not some abstract concept. And John would say, I, I want you to see love in action. If you want to see that, just look at what the Father did to save you and me from sin. Unfortunately, you know, most of us are a work in progress. We do not love as we really ought to. And the primary reason we do not love as we ought to is because we fail to see what God has done for us or we forget what God has done for us in Christ in the cross. So what has God done? Look at verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him in this the love of god was manifested now that word manifested means to come out into the open to be made public it means to put on display how did god make his love for us public how did he display his love john says he sent his only begotten son. Now he's going to use this word again in a moment, but in this case that word sent emphasizes the pre-existence of Christ. The fact that God, uh, so he loved us so much, he was willing, Jesus was willing to set aside his glory to come to earth and God sent, John says, his only begotten son. That's just one word in the Greek but it literally means one of a kind, unique. When God gave his son, he gave his very best. He spared nothing, nothing to bring us salvation. 
you have to sacrifice, don't you, in order to love. Love costs something. Years ago, just a few years before I was born, but not too many, there was this movement that has still had, I would argue, devastating effects on this world and on our nation. I'm talking about the free love movement. And I was thinking, it's kind of ironic. What's ironic is that if it's free, it's not really love. And if it's love, it's not free because love costs. Love costs. It leads one to give. It leads one to sacrifice. You have to pay a price to love. Well, John takes this a step further in verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let me talk about the last part of that verse first. We've seen that word propitiation once already in John's letter, but to us that word propitiation may seem like a strange word. It's probably not a word that comes up very often in casual conversations uh, during the week, uh, but when you learn its meaning, it's really one of the most beautiful words in the Bible. That word literally means satisfaction. You see, even though God is love, we have already seen in 1 John 1, 5 that God is light. Now, light refers to the purity of God. Light refers to the holiness of God. So God's love is a holy love. That means that God could not both love the sinner and allow sin to go unpunished. Yes, God loves the sinner, but he also hates sin. And because we are sinners, apart from Christ, the wrath of God abides on us. But God didn't want to give us death. He wanted to give us life. So God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. And that word, propitiation, means that the wrath of God for our sin was placed upon Christ and God was satisfied. That, in a nutshell, is what propitiation means. It means Jesus took upon himself the wrath that we deserved. That's how much God loved us. Somebody said that if a judge allows a guilty man to go free, the judge himself is condemned. Well, God is holy, and he will not allow sin to go unpunished. And so he set his wrath upon his own son, who became our sin in our place when he died on the cross. And John is telling us this so that we will know exactly what the love of God looks like. And this is love. He said at the beginning of verse 10. In other words, at Calvary, in the cross, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. God took the initiative. We didn't love him first. 
Not at all. All we have to offer God are empty sinner's hands. But God loved us before he even created us. And John said, he sent his son. There's that word again. He loved us and sent his son. The purpose of him sending the son was not the incarnation, but the atonement. The purpose in sending the son was not our education, but our salvation. He sent the son, not that he should live, but that he should die for us. I think about that great song that we sing every now and then. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Before we were born, God loved us and sent his son to die for us. But even after uh, he created us, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we did not love God. We had no love for him whatsoever. And so he loved us first. And he took the initiative to love us and to save us. John said this is how God manifested. This is how he demonstrated his love for us. But then notice what John does next in that next verse, in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God's love for us was seen, thus our love for others should be able to be seen as well. God's love for us was public, so our love for one another should be public. God's love for us was sacrificial. It cost him something. Thus, our love for one another should be sacrificial. It should cost us something. And so let me ask you, what has your love cost you? What has your love for the saints cost you? What has your love for your brothers and your sisters in Christ cost you? Has it cost you anything at all? If it's really love, it should have. If it's really love, it will. I keep saying this, but I'm going to say it again. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. This kind of love cost God, and this kind of love is going to cost us. And so notice what John does. He gets to verse 11, and we see that the cross becomes for us not only the means of our salvation, but the cross becomes for us our way of life. The cross means God loved us when we did not love him, therefore, we love others even when they do not love us. That's the principle of the cross. He says that's how God loved us. When you look to the cross, when you see that, when you understand that, when you allow it to sink in deep down in your bones you will begin to understand that that is exactly how you are to live and exactly how you are to interact 
with others. We apply the principle of the cross towards those around us, whoever they are, whatever they have done, and wherever they may be. And it is by doing that we demonstrate we have been born of God and we really do know him. Join me as we pray. Our God, we thank you for this passage about love and everything that it has to say. And it is certainly challenging to us because we are a work in progress. John already said back in chapter 1, if any man says he has no sin, he's a liar. He deceives himself. The truth is not in him. And so we do know, and John understood, that we don't get this right all the time. But he's describing what ought to be the pattern of our lives, what should be the habit, what should be the norm. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to take the principle of the cross and apply it to others. We recognize, and we've seen in your word tonight, that we don't have that ability naturally within ourselves, and we cannot do that on our own. But you can do that supernaturally through us. So God, I pray that you would reveal to us right now if there is anyone in our lives that we are not loving as we should. I pray that perhaps for some people in this room, right now, a face would pop into their minds. A name would pop into their minds that you would reveal that someone whether it's fellow church member whether it's a brother or sister in Christ but we also know that what John is describing here about how we are to love one another how we are to love one another within the church we also see that we get to the Sermon on the Mount that we are to apply that outside of the church as well we are to love our enemies. And Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So God, show us if there's that enemy. Show us if there's that neighbor that we are not loving as we should. So that we can humbly confess that before you. So that we can repent of that. So that the world would look at us and see the way we love one another and see the way we love them and thus know that we have been born of God and that we truly know you. Because we know, God, that no matter what we say, if they don't see that love in us, they're not going to hear us when we try to share the gospel. So we want them to hear it in our words, but we also want them to see it in our lives and the way we live and the way we treat others. So thank you, God, for this message. God, I uh, pray that if there's anyone here that, according to your word, has not been born of God, who does not know you, who is still in their sin, they are still under wrath, who needs to be saved, that they would be uh, convicted, that they would be motivated to run to you and say, God, I have nothing to offer you but myself. Here am I. Come with empty hands 
asking you to forgive me and save me. Your word promises you'll do it. Your word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So God, I pray for that holy sense of desperation that only you can provide and that that man or, or woman would, would come to you and call upon the name of Jesus. And God, thank you so much for your word tonight and for the encouragement that we receive and for the, the challenges that are before us. Help us now to, to take this and apply it. It's one thing for us to talk about it. It's another thing for us to do it. Help us to be doers of the word this week. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.